This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast. Visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. Let's talk about now the age of the universe. This is a topic that it's the probably the most celebrated topic where Torah and science seem to contradict each other, conflict with each other. Science gives the universe an age of, at this point, approximately 15 billion years old. We'll go with that age for now. While the Torah writes pretty clearly that the age is 5,784 years old plus six days. So around close to 6,000, close to 6,000 years old is the age of the universe according to the Torah, and 15 billion is science, and that's obviously a big distinction. So what can we say? Does the science disprove the Torah? Do we have to reinterpret the Torah? How does this, how does this work? So let's start by using some of the methods that we discussed last week, which is that if somebody would come and say science has proven that the age of the universe is 15 billion years old, the first question to ask is, how exactly have they proven it? Before, and is it science has proven it? Is this an observable fact? Is this a scientific theory? Is this scientific consensus? So let's go into the details. How did they prove this? Don't let anybody off the hook by just saying that they have proven it. Science has proven it. Again, you have to be very detailed. How exactly have they proven it? And then we'll discuss. We'll see if that's really science. Is it scientists? Is this a theory, consensus? What exactly is this? And how strong a theory is this? So do these claims really even need a response? That's really the question. They, they, they claim that it's 15 billion years old. Let's discuss how have they got there and we'll see if they needed or if they, these claims need a response or not. So the truth is that their claim is very far from proven. It's not scientific fact. That's for sure. It's not an observable fact. And we could discuss and decide maybe whether this is in the realm of a consensus or a theory. But let's just discuss how they get there, how they get there. Now, in order to discuss, I want to give an analogy first before we get to exactly the details and before we get to discussing how we would approach this this question, how it, wor- it would work out with the Torah. So let's give an analogy first to, in order to understand this a little bit better. Let's say you have um, certain, again, this is not scientific at all, just, just as an analogy. Let's say you have um, 100,000 grams of salt at the bottom of the sea. Okay, so there's 100,000 grams and it goes up certain amount, and it goes up every year. Now, you've measured the past 50 years, and each year you have discovered that the there's one gram of salt that's added per year. So for the past 50 years, one gram of salt has been added per year. And now there's a, exactly 100,000 grams of salt at the bottom of the sea. So how old would you think the world is based on this information? How old can the world be? Again, there's 100,000 grams of salt at the bottom of the sea. It goes up at a rate. You've measured the past, let's say even say 100 years, doesn't make a difference, 100 years. And it goes, it, every single year, it goes up one gram of salt per year. And now there's 100,000 grams at the bottom of the sea. So based on that information that I gave you, how old would the world be? So most right away will answer 100,000 years old. That's most people, what they do is they, they would assume it's 100,000 years. Now the truth is over there, there are actually two possible mistakes in that answer. And they both could be true. But before we get to the mistakes, let's just point out something very basic, which is that that's just, this is pretty much more or less how they do most of the aging systems of the world. Let's take carbon dating for a second. Carbon dating essentially says that you look at how much carbon-14 is in a bone from, let's say, an animal. And this came into bone because the plant absorbed the carbon and the animal went into the plant. And what happens is they calculate the rate of decay of carbon. So let's say it goes down five whatever measurements of carbon a year. Then they calculate back to the certain point. Now, just to point out that carbon only decays when an animal dies. So that means that if they have a dead a fossil, they could see how much carbon is in it right now. They could see the rate of decay per year, and they could calculate back to the point where animal was alive. Now, how do they know? There's one little piece missing over here, which is how much carbon was in the bone 
while it was alive? How do you know what point to stop? So that, the way they do that is they take the amount of carbon in that animal, that same animal or fossil that it has now when it's alive, and assume that it's the same amount, pretty much. Again, if I, if I said that in not 100%, it, it probably doesn't make a difference, but that's pretty much how it was presented to me in, in different places, and I've seen this way, this presentation is not from me, but if it's a little bit off, fine, you'll find a different way exactly, a different way of saying it, but this is pretty much how they do most of the dating methods, if not all of them. And someone could correct me if there's a different way, but from what I've seen so far, this is the this is the the standard of how they do dating. So it's pretty much this idea. We're going to speak about the salt analogy because that's the analogy we're giving. But like I said, this is certainly for carbon dating, which is one of their most famous, if not the most famous. This is pretty much how they do it. Now, what are the problems? Is going to keep it simple. What are the problems? The two potential mistakes that there are in answering that for our question: a hundred thousand years that the salt was a hundred thousand years, and you're going to say you're going to see how they clearly apply by the carbon dating and even more actually. So let's start. Mistake number one is that we assumed, if you if you answered 100,000 years old, that the world was, based on our analogy of salt, that the world was 100,000 years old, again, you made two mistakes. Number one, you assumed that the rate was always the same, that I told you the past 50 or 100 years, there was always added one gram per year. You assumed that that was always true, and then you extrapolated back and you got to 100,000 years old. It might be, it might be the most convenient way to do it. Based on Occam's razor, it makes sense. It's probably the best possible way to do it, but we're not, it's not necessarily true. So when we're talking about our analogy, it's not necessarily true. Now let's go to the second mistake, and then we're going to go in detail in, in both mistakes. The second mistake was that you also assumed that there was zero grams of salt at the bottom of the sea when the earth was had begun. So if I asked you, again, how old was the earth if there's 100,000 grams of salt? So again, you assumed 100,000 years. What if there was 900,000 or 90,000, excuse me, grams of salt when the world was created or when the earth was created in our analogy? So that it would only mean, it wouldn't, it would be a lot less, it'd be 10,000 only. So you assume that it was zero if you answered 100,000, you assume that it was zero. So there's two mistakes you made. Number one, you assume the rate was always the same. And number two, you assumed a certain starting point. Now we're going to detail, go into detail into those mistakes. Let's start, let's start with the rate being the same. Again, that is something that's pretty clear by the carbon dating. There was an assumption that the rate of decay in carbon is always the same. That's what they do. They see the rate now and they extrapolate back and assume that it was always the same. That's what they do. Now, is that a fair assumption? So just to point, even before it's a fair assumption or not, the point is that it's an assumption, which means that already it doesn't belong in the category of scientific observation or observable fact. This is already an assumption. Assumption, scientific theory, and maybe consensus also, but it certainly is an assumption. It's not black and white fact, it's an opinion. So already that weakens the, the it. Again, not to say that it's wrong and not to say that scientists are wrong for doing it and not to destroy the entire edifice of science, but it's an assumption. It's not scientific fact. Now let's say how strong, let's see how strong scientific method determines that they do this. But like we said before, a scientific method does not necessarily tell us the truth. So we wanna know the ultimate truth we don't need to use the rules of science. So again, in terms of science, this makes sense that they do this. And I have no qualms about that. I have no problems with the scientists doing that. But if you want to challenge my the Torah based on this, well, then it already automatically becomes a weaker challenge because it's not something observable fact. I'm not telling you to deny what your eyes see. I'm asking you for now, before we have any answers, to just question the assumptions that are being made. Now, let's use this methodology, let's say, in another case, right? Their methodology is that they take the great, the growth rate of something and they apply it back and assume that it always was the same. Is this a assumption that is 100% true in all cases? Or is it a very strong assumption, let's put it that way. Is this a strong assumption? Let's assume, let's talk about a human being, for example. Let's say they would measure a human being's growth rate in his 19th year. And in his 19th year, he grows a quarter of an inch per year. Okay, and now he's whatever X inches tall, whatever height you want to give him. So six foot, he's six foot two inches tall and he grows uh, a quarter of an inch a year. So how old would you assume that he is? Well, if you use the their method, you would assume, whatever, do the math, whatever it is, very, very old, much older than he actually is. And the reason for that is because a human being does not grow with the same rate at all times of his life. Obviously, he grows a lot more at the beginning of his life rather than later on in his life. And that's really the true the truth about many, many things in the world, that the growth rate is stronger towards the beginning. If you can say that about an animal, even about a tree, 
the difference between a tree at 50 years to 100 years is much less than between one to three or four years. Everything grows at a higher rate towards the beginning. That's when we know pretty much almost everything. That Certainly things that we observe growing, always the growth rate is much bigger at the beginning. So right away we see that this assumption is actually not true in many things. So maybe the world was the same. Again, I'm not proving that the world was the same, but maybe it is the same by the world. It's just showing that the assumption is not necessarily foolproof, not at all. Not only is it not foolproof, but it's actually very weak because we do find, and like I said, in almost most things, we do find that the growth rate is very different, especially towards the beginning. Now, the Rambam in Mordevukim says, makes it, he makes his point even stronger, actually. He says that you can never use the rules of a system when they are already in place in order to understand the conception of that system. So until the rules of the system are set, there's no reason to assume that you can impose what we see in front of us onto something that we didn't know. So let's give, make this very, very clear. He gives an example. His example is a fetus. When we talk about a fetus, all the rules of our existence are very different than the rules of a fetus. In fact, if you look at the rules that we need to exist, the fetus is exactly the opposite. It survives without oxygen. It survives. You ask a doctor about the details, but basically many of the rules of a fetus has an order, everything that it needs to exist is very different than the way, the way we function. And if you take our existence and you put it in the framework of the existence of a fetus, we actually wouldn't survive. And the same goes seemingly the other way around. The point is that the rules don't apply. The rules are very different when you have conception of the thing versus when it's already into existence. So that's what the Rambam makes the point. Again, that you can't use the rules of a system and impose them back to the conception of that system because the rules were still really coming into place. The existence formation of a human being was coming into being through a fetus and you can't use the rules that he needs now and impose them back on the rules during his conception. Before a human being is fully functional, functional, we'll say, he has different rules than when he's going through that conception. That's what the Rambam explains. And the Rambam is dealing with that really sort of in our topic, pretty much. He's talking about the age of the universe. He's addressing something else, but he's not he's not addressing the 15 billion years, actually addressing the, the that the world is always there, but it's the same, same basic point. And the same goes, he says, with the six days of creation. The world was coming into formation. The laws of nature were not set yet. So now, are we allowed to now see the rules that we have in front of us, the laws of nature? and impose back onto six day, onto that, those six days of creation. Can we assume consistency onto that period of time? So he, he says, according to the Rambam, it would be a big mistake to do that. And again, the Rambam told us, but we don't really even need the Rambam for this. It's very poshut. It's obvious. You cannot impose rules from the time that they are set onto a time where they're coming into existence. So when the world is coming into formation, how can, how can you necessarily use the same laws of nature that we have right now. That would be a big mistake. And it's all the more so when we're simply, we're trying to attempt a, a constant growth rate, which again, we said we know differs based on different times in in different things. We know growth rate changes, like a baby adult example that we just gave. The, the growth rate we know changes. That's even within the rules itself. Within the rules itself of growth, we know that growth, growth rate changes. But now we're trying to do something much different. We're trying by the creation of the universe, it's a much more pronounced, profound difference. Like I said, in the case of the baby, it's not, it's, the rules are there. It's just that even within the rules, they're different. But we're talking about the creation of the universe. It's not simply a quantity of difference, but a complete qualitative difference. The rules of the universe of nature had not yet been set in the six days. To now take these rules from post six days to impose them, apply them to on the six days, that's a big problem. And there's so many other factors that can change things. How can we assume at all a consistency with, the, with these two, with these things? There's a relative. There's so much relativity in the universe, relative time, space, and movement. Everything changes. And again, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is the one bringing the world into existence, and He's creating the, the 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 rules of the universe. He's not subject to the rules of nature, and he, and certainly the world at that point was not subject to the rules of nature yet only after six days. So there's no way we could possibly bring the rules from post six days to the rules onto six days. And if you're just coming, again, like I said, that's a bigger problem. And it's it's even bigger problem because what we're saying is that even if you were to apply the rules, which you can't, but even the rules themselves are not stable. The rules of growth are not stable. So number one, you have the problem that the rule of growth itself, even the rule after post six days, where we see nature, that growth rate is not is not stable. It's not always the same. 
And number two, obviously even more basic and more problematic, is that who even says the rules apply over there? So it's very, very, it's going to be almost impossible to age the universe correctly using this method. The mistake number two is that the assumption was that, let's say go back to our salt analogy, that the assumption was that the world started at zero grams of salt and therefore... 100,000, you again, you assume the rate was the same, but then, and you just apply it back, but you assume that it started at zero. How old was the world when it was created? So obviously, it's a trick question. The answer is zero. But the question really is, how old did the world look, we'll say, when the world was created? What do, what do we mean by this? Well, the Gemara tells us already that, Gemara Rosh Hashanah and Chulin as well, tells us that the animals were created fully grown, fully in their surah. In Tzivyoinam, Vukoymasam, the Gemara says, they're created fully grown. Adam Rishon said, in different places, Adam Rishon says, it says by him that he was basically 20 years old. He, he had the body and the mind of a 20-year-old when he was grown. So how did the world look when it was, how old did the world look when it was created? So let's say you would take a scientist all the way back to day six of the world, the, the moment where Adam Rishon was created, and you don't tell him anything other than this is a man and how old is he? So he would look at him and he would conclude that he was 20 years old and he'd be pretty much right in under the tools that he's working with, but he'd be dead wrong. Ultimately, it would be a big mistake because Anurish is not 20 years old. He's one year old. He's just grown. He just created as what we perceive to be a 20, 20 year old. Now, it's the same thing almost with the entire world. There might have been mountains in the world, rivers in the world, valleys, and the light of the stars would have already already reached the earth. You know, one of the ways that they like to say that the world's billions of years old is because it should, in theory, take billions of years for the light of the stars to reach Earth. Because the world creates stars on day four, and on day six, he puts Adam Rishon there. So would the light have got there or not? So it's, why not? Why can't Akash Baruch create it where the light of the stars gets there already? And that's it. And then now you're observing it. So you say, well, it takes light moves at this speed and takes billions of years to get there. You'd be wrong. Just like you'd be wrong when you looked at Adam Rishon and say that he was 20 years old. Or you look at this cow and conclude that it was at least three or four years old. You'd be wrong when you look at every other aspect of the universe. For whatever reason it is, Hashem wanted the stars to be billions of light years away from our planet. So then that's a true fact no matter what. Even if you assume that Hashem made the world 15 billion years ago, you still have to answer the question why Hashem made such a big universe with the stars so far away. Whatever the answer is, whatever, who cares what the answer is exactly. There's so many details in the creation that we don't know, but it doesn't change anything. In the end of the day, either way, whether the world was six days or 15 billion years, what's indisputable is that Adam Rishon was created when the world was 15 billion years functional, we'll call it, or it looked 15 billion years, meaning the light got to the stars, the light of the stars got to the earth, no matter what, no matter what you say. So what age was the world when it was created? How old does the Torah say that when you looked at the world, how old would you perceive the age to be? So the answer is nobody really knows. Chazal don't tell us anything about that. Because probably because it's not so important. Because what's the difference? Akash Baruch told us exactly the world was created in six days, and then we could count the world, the amount of years from there. So it's not really important how old the world, quote unquote, looks. But what's, what is important is that it certainly should have looked more than 5,784 years old. Because again, when you're on there on day one, how old it looks is older than one older than six days, because the world looks functional and mature. I'm going to explain a little bit about a little bit better in a moment, just this idea. But the world certainly should look functional and mature when you're there on day one. So it does look more than six days old. Again, if somebody was there in the world on day six, ever have claimed that the world is six days old, because he's using his experience now, and he understands what six days does under these terms. And he goes back and assumes the same thing. But it's not true. If the world started at a certain point already, then obviously it's it's all it's all incorrect his conclusion so in short the world was created with an age a quote-unquote an age which means again that the dating mechanisms will be pretty much useless again how old was the world supposed to look when it was created nobody tells us because it's not really important see our problem is that when we see something that's fully formed say fully functional so we assume maturity we assume that there was a passage of time really because our experience tells us this when we see an adult we, a 20-year-old will say, how do I know that he's 20-year-old? We assume that he's 20 years old. We assume that he's 20 years past from his birth. Why do we assume such a thing? Number one, because all adults in our experience are old. Because whenever we see an adult, we know that a certain time passed. But really, how do we know that? 
is because the law of nature, laws of nature dictate that in order to get to this end point, i.e. being an adult, you need to go through a process. And this process happens to include the passage of time. So in the case of an adult, it includes 20 years old. So when we see a grown adult and we're ascribing to him an age, we're assuming a consistency in nature, i.e. in a consistency in the growth rate. And we're also assuming a consistency that he was born as a baby. Because let's say I tell you he was born as a 15-year-old, then it's obviously, you obviously are going to be wrong in your conclusion. So of course we should, and it makes sense. Of course we would, and of course we should. Why would we not? But still, it's an assumption because the truth really is that functionality doesn't necessarily have to equal maturity, i.e. passage of time. Just because something is purely fu- is, is, is functional doesn't mean that it took time to get there. It only does so because of our experience or because the laws of nature, really. Because the laws of nature dictate normally that in order to get to pure, fear, uh, full functionality, let's say an adult, so you need passage of time. But without the laws, then you don't need that, of course. Without the laws of nature, that's not a fair assumption to make. For, again, for our world, it's fair. But if I were to tell you that there's, let's say, one area that we can't use the same assumptions as we normally do. You go about your day looking at things and aging everything. This thing was a old. this person's age this old. the person has gray hair, he must be in the 70s. So you're using assumptions, you're using consistency, using the laws of nature, which is perfectly reasonable to do. But if I were to tell you, let's say, that there'd be one area where you were not allowed to do that, then it would be unfair to do. So imagine I would tell you that there was a, an alien who came from a different planet and he had all the same characteristics as a human being at age 20 years old. He looked exactly like a 20-year-old human being. So now I ask you, how old is he? So what's your answer? Well, if you're going to answer 20, then you're making a big mistake. Because really the question you should be asking, you shouldn't be answering the question you should be asking. Well, how fast do these people, these aliens grow? What's their rate of growth? And how big are their babies? If their babies are 20-year-old human beings, then maybe he's a baby. So you can't impose the laws of our planet onto him. Maybe his planet has completely different laws, different growth rate, different when he was zero, when he was a baby, how old was, uh, how big was he? It's completely unfair to impose our laws onto him and then to assume that he's 20 years old. Well, it's really the same thing with the six days of creation. You can't impose the laws of nature onto those six days. And those really are two different things which we discussed. And one is consistency of growth rate. You can't assume that the consistency, the rate is the same because again, you just can't bring back the laws over there, but in this way. And number two is you can't assume that the world started from zero as you will assume that for many other things, let's say. So that's the real big problem with talking about the age of the the world, that science can't really, again, if you assume certain things, then yes, science will be able to tell tell you scientifically as a theory what they think the age of the world is. And again, I have no problems with that. So if you want to phrase it as based on our intelligence and our information that we have and our scientific methods that we have, we have concluded that the world is 15 billion years old. That's no problem. No problem at all. So the only thing is, number one, it's a, a it's a based on a major assumption. So I could actually say to you, that there's no reason why you should be right. I can actually challenge you. But the truth is, I don't even have to challenge. I can even accept it 100% that the world certainly does look 15 billion years old. But it doesn't mean that the world is 15 billion years old. Because again, if the world was created with an age, then you're going to be wrong in your in your assumption. Just like the salt of the sea analogy told us, it looked like the world, the, the sea was 100,000 years old because of the greater of growth and your assumption that the world, that the salt started started zero but that's not true not it wasn't true at all it doesn't have to be true about the world the world can look 15 billion years old there's no problem we can accept science 100 percent, but it doesn't mean that it's true in short on this point functionality does not always equal maturity i.e passage of time especially when there's a strong reason not to assume the consistency of nature so there's two reasons we have not to assume consistency of nature. Number one, the laws are not in place. Number two, the world was created with an age already, and therefore you can superimpose what you have now back to the world. You cannot say that just because we see growth equals maturity, so therefore passage of time equals maturity. Therefore, since you see maturity by the world, you could also assume passage of time. That's not necessarily true. If God is creating the world, then he could create it whatever way he wants to. Now, there's someone, just to bring out this point, there's someone out there, uh, there's many out there, excuse me, who who say that days don't mean days, rather they mean eras or billions of years. That's how they want to explain and answer the question between science and Torah. That science says 15 billion years, the Torah says six days plus close to 6,000 years. How do you reconcile the two things? Well, you say days doesn't really equal 
days, it actually equals to billions of years. So there's a couple of issues I have with this this mahalach, this, uh, this understanding. Number one, obviously days in general don't mean billions of years. Days mean days. And pretty much every single mefarish that we have, all the mefarshim do say this. Now, there, there sometimes is license to reinterpret the psukim away from their simple meaning. We certainly do have that. The Ramam tells us a little bit about it. Rav Sadigon really tells us a lot about it. But there is, so you do have that license to sometimes take the psukim out of their pshuta. So sometimes maybe you could say under certain circumstances, you could say that days don't really mean days. Like the Rambam explains by Yad Hashem doesn't really mean a Yad. So you could take it out of its pshuta. But the problem really is why are, the problem to me is why are you doing this? And we'll get, get to the Rambam in a moment, but included in this is that, like we just mentioned before, that pretty much every single commentator that I'm aware of, or certainly every single commentator that I am aware of, knows days means days. The Rambam himself asks the question of what days mean, what, what does it mean days before the sun and the moon? Wh- whatever exactly his question is, which I think needs an explanation of what his question is. But he asks, how do you have four days, day one, two, three, if you don't have the sun and the moon? And he answers a parable about the seeds, that what happens is you plant the seeds, and they only sprout out later on. So the same thing with Hashem. He really, as it were, planted the seeds of everything on the, on day one. Everything just sprouted into its place on day two or three, four or five, whatever it was. That's his answer. He doesn't answer that days means millions of years. He doesn't say it's billions of years, which really wouldn't have answered his question anyways, because he's coming to explain time before the sun, moon, and the stars. So it doesn't help to say that's billions of years. It's, I don't understand. This point is, I never really understood this point. Maybe maybe I misunderstood when people are saying this, but people tend to use this question of, well, there couldn't really be days because there's no sun, moon, and star until day four. And therefore what? And therefore must be in billions of years? Well, then let me just ask, how could there have been years before there was the sun, moon, and the stars? So that discussion is just completely irrelevant to the Rambam. The Rambam is asking a different question, which is not going to be relevant. You're not going to help the Rambam by saying this billions of years. You have the same problem. So leaving that point aside, but the Rambam does pretty pretty convincingly sound like it's it's Mamish days. There's a Barbanel explains in a different way, but I don't think the Barbanel is really arguing on this point. But the Rambam does sound like it's Mamish days. The Ramban says explicitly that it's days, days, a 24-hour period. He answers this question of the Rambam, the Rambam saying that the planetary motions, sun, moon, and stars are not causing time, they're just measuring time, whatever the details are of that. But the point is that he holds that there are Mamish 24-hour periods. Every single person, every single Rishon who I've seen, someone could tell me otherwise, every single Rishon or in Chazal, all suggest that it was days. That means it just comes out funny because according to, if it's really 15 billion years old, then really when Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Torah to Har Sinai, he certainly knew that days didn't mean days, and Klai Yisrael certainly knew the days didn't mean days, because they know the world was 15 billion years old. Not sure why they wouldn't know that. Certainly Yerushalayim knew it, and would have told that to Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet this shot in days never really made it down anywhere until 100, 200 years ago. All right, none of the, no, Chazal doesn't say this anywhere. The Rishon don't say this anywhere, even though that should have been true. It should have been the Pshat given. And, and just, just 200 years ago, it just happens to be when science comes and quote unquote proves that the world's billions of years old. So now you find different Achronim trying to explaining, or not really Achronim, but some Achronim will say, try and explain based on the multiple worlds that there's a Kodesh Baruch who destroyed some worlds or days don't mean days. Now I'm not saying that it's dead wrong what they're doing, but it's a little bit, a little bit funny that they should, that they should do this. Obviously this is a response to scientific claims. Obviously it only comes in the context of science having been proven correct. They have these answers and we've already said, but we've shown that science can't, doesn't have a real strong claim to this point and there's no necessity to respond in this way. It is the way one of these achronim, one of these rabbanim will say, does explain this. He, he, he prefaces it. He says that since science has, science has proven that the world is billions of years old, therefore we have a license based on the, on the Rambam, which we mentioned before, to reinterpret Pesukim. Now the Rambam says, he's mashpa, or actually he says this point. He says that if a person comes up, has a moiface, which we'll explain what that means in a moment, is if there is a moiface that tells me that I'm, a, I, that understand something differently than the pshuto of the psukim, then you could reinterpret the psukim. So what does that mean? He means that if you were to prove something, a logical philosophical proof that something's not true, then we would have to reinterpret the psukim. So the example he gives is of Akash Baruch Hu's Yad, let's say Yad Hashem. We know Hashem doesn't have a physical Yad, that we could prove philosophically, which we've done, and therefore we could reinterpret the psukim. That Yad doesn't mean the Yad like we know. So that's his license to reinterpret the psukim. And this and some of the Rabbanim use this in order to say, well, yes, so since science has proven 
that the world is billions of years old, we could use this Rambam to help us and we could re- we have the license to reinterpret the Pesukim. Now, clearly, this is not true. The sci- t- science has not proven anything, like we said. The Rambam Moifes uh, proof, a logical philosophical proof, is not in the same category as scientific theory. The Rambam probably, most likely would would um Rasidagon certainly does state about observable fact. I don't see why the Raman would argue on that. The Ram would agree that if something is an observable fact, a scientific fact, i.e. science, then on that we can interpret the Psukim out of its Pshuto. That I could agree with. But to say that scientific theory and consensus even is the same as a moiface, that I don't think is true. Science has not proven anything. Scientists have claimed that the age of the world is a certain age based on assumptions which are not baseless, but have a lot of weakness in them. So I don't think the Rambam, or really anybody, would say under these circumstances you could reinterpret the Psukim. So that's the first issue that I have with saying that the world is really billions of years old. The second thing is just I don't just don't really fully understand the how this works. Meaning, are you telling me that Hashem made the world from the most basic material and then He quote unquote waited fifteen billion years for it to develop? Obviously, it's not wait because Hashem's not bound by time. But you're telling me that he made the world out of nothing, zero, and he just, again, let it go through the process of 15 billion years for it to develop. I'm, not, I'm just not sure why he would, again, quote-unquote, wait all that time. Why couldn't he just do everything that, based on the present circumstances, based on our natural law right now, normally would take 15 billion years to do, but just do it in six days? Everything, whatever the end point is, everybody would be agreement, like we said, that the end point is that Adam enters a world where it's the maturity and functionality of 15 billion years. So the only question is the process to get there. Either it's really 15 billion years and days don't mean days, or it's six days and days mean days. So I don't understand why Hashem would actually make him 15 billion years old. Just do whatever takes 15 billion years years to do and do it in six days. Is he limited by this? I just don't get why this helps anybody. Whatever the reason is, again, we're in the same boat, that Hashem wanted the mature, functioning world ready for Adam. So it's either 15 billion years or six days. So you're telling me again that 15 billion years, Mamish, Kipshuta, will say, passed from the beginning of the creation of the world until Adam. I would just simply say that whatever it takes to accomplish 15 billion years, Hashem did it in six days. There's no reason to wait. Yes, we could talk about relativity of time and all this, but there's no necessity really. Just say six days passed with the effects of 15 billion years. Again, we normally assume maturity, uh, functionality equals maturity, but it doesn't have to be. Certainly Hashem's not limited. So again, Hashem wanted to be functional as if it was 15 billion years old for whatever the reason is. You have the same question. Whoever agrees to the scientists have the same question. Why does Hashem want it to be a world of 15 billion years that Adam entered? So whatever the answer is, the answer is. I'll, I'll take your answer the same as mine. Hashem wanted that the world be functional like 15 billion years old. And if he put Adam in that, so, but just that, why does he have to wait 15 billion years? Just do it in six days. So let days mean days in the purest sense. Just a lot could be accomplished in those days, especially since the laws of nature hadn't even been settled, haven't even, even been created. It wouldn't have even taken 15 billion years worth of our time to, for the light of the stars to get to the world. If we're talking about the, let's say the light of the stars. So, what tells you that the light of the stars take 15 billion years to get there? What tells that to you is the law of nature. The nature that we have now dictates, we'll say, that the light of the stars take 15 billion years to get to us. Okay, but that law wasn't even fully formed yet. So it shouldn't have taken 15 billion years. Even, we'll quote unquote naturally, it shouldn't have taken 15 billion years <coughs> for the light to get to the stars. And all the more so, we're talking about a Kodesh Baruch who's not bound by any of those things. And those who want to argue that the Rambam says that Hashem normally keeps the laws of nature. He quotes a Pasuk and Tillim in different places, Chok Nasan Vlo Yav, or who doesn't like to change nature. He keeps the laws of nature intact. And with everything else being equal, Hashem will not do miracles that break nature. So you say, why would I assume that the six days of creation, Hashem would not, would go against his rule? Why wouldn't he keep the laws of nature? Well, the very same Rambam also says that that whole concept only really applies after the first six days of creation. And until that point, nature hadn't even been concretized yet. Therefore, you don't even have this rule that Hashem keeps nature. Hashem doesn't keep nature. Hashem only keeps nature after they've been concretized and they're written into law. But until that point, you don't have that problem. So I don't see any reason why, and you're not really gaining much by saying 15 billion years is actual 15 billion years. Just say it's six days and Hashem accomplished the same thing in six days that normally would take, under our circumstances, would take 15 billion years to accomplish. So that to me is very, very simple. And in light of these Really two issues, but many more issues, but really be, uh, be soido. Two issues, 
it's going to be pretty impossible to get the correct date of the world using science. Again, you could still do the best. You could do the best you could do. But using actual science and telling us what our Torah tells us, when you just learn our Torah properly with Torah Shabbat Peh, we understand, number one, that the world was created old. And there are also also sources that say that post-Admarishon, his chet, that the rates of expansion of the universe or different movements of the universe changed, but that's all the more so when we're talking about the actual sixth age, which the Rambam himself tells us that it wasn't bound by any of the rules, and certainly you cannot apply these rules. So based on that, it's going to be very hard to find anything with certainty with the with our with the age of the earth, and certainly nothing that will actually challenge Torah. Again, one could say that based on that our best possible theory and based on our knowledge, we can posit that the world is 15 billion years old, but that's fine for science, and that's great, but it has nothing to do with the truth, that has nothing to do with a question onto Torah. That's the basic, general, very simple, easy mahalach in terms of understanding the age of the world. Now, I want to just deal with two things that people normally say in response to this idea. And not don't make a mistake and think that I'm actually giving credence to these questions, but since these are pretty popular questions that people respond to, I will actually, I'll just address them. One of them is, one question is as follows. They ask a question, if you're going to tell me that Hashem creates the world old with an age, so then maybe it's true that Hashem created the world also now with an age, meaning maybe Hashem created the world right now and implanted into every, every one of us a memory of our lives, but really we're only one moment old. Okay, that's how they ask the question. Again, let's see the, hear the question. The question is, if I'm telling you that Hashem creates a world old, and it looks old, like I just said, so maybe Hashem would also create the world old right now. Maybe Hashem created the world five minutes ago. And the reason why we think it's older than five minutes is because Hashem implanted into one of us, every one of us some sort of memory. Okay, that's their question. Now, the truth is, is an absolutely ridiculous question. And it really, it really pretty much has nothing to do with our topic. The reason is because forget about everything I've said so far today. Let's say you don't know anything about age of the world, how, how the world was created old. Let's say you don't have that answer, let's say. So let me ask you a question. How do I know the world is not five minutes old? Let's say before you opened, you heard this this year. I say to you, how do you know the world is not five minutes old? So what's the answer? Well, pretty much the answer is, we can't know for sure. Is it absolutely impossible that the world is five minutes old? It's possible, but it's not something that I really have to take into account. Maybe everything is whatever. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. In the end of the day, this makes no difference because it's something that I, it's illogical, irrational, but it's something that I can prove or disprove. So like, like we said, maybe, yeah, maybe it is true. Maybe it is. Maybe everybody is just hooked into a computer and like, there's a computer giving us memories and we're really not, ha- we don't really have our own experience. It's all being fed into us by some, maybe I can't disprove it, but it doesn't mean it's something that I have to deal with. And therefore the same thing with this, something, that's something I have to deal with. The Torah Lamaisa tells us that the world is 6,000 years old. Yeah, maybe the Torah is fake and maybe it's history is also implanted in their minds. Again, that's true. Maybe, maybe it's true. I th- theoretically have no way to absolutely disprove that idea, but again, it's not really relevant. I'm not going to assume it, so we'll throw it away. We have no way to deal with it. We'll just, it's, it's one of those ridiculous things. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. There's no reason for me to assume it's true, but maybe it is, but it's irrelevant to everything. And the truth is, the answer that we're suggesting really has no ramifications on these questions. Forget about, forget about our question. You could ask this question, and we'll answer this question. Maybe it's five minutes old. Maybe it is but it's so irrelevant that I'm just going to ignore it. Okay, so after we answered our question as well, maybe the world is 15 billion years old. No, the age was, it was created old. Fine. It, it has no relevance. The only way you could say it has any relevance to our question is if you say as follows, that without your answer, if you never would have said that God would have created a world looking older than it does, then I would have answered the question. If you'd have asked me this question, I would have said, uh, asked the question, maybe the world is five minutes old and God created old. Um, and God created looking old. So I would have said that no, God wouldn't do such a thing. But now that you have suggested that God does, does, does do such a thing because he created the world looking older than it was. So now you have this question, but I don't really see a reason to have to respond to that point because your answer of, I don't think God would do it is not very strong because he could do it. So that's not an answer. God wouldn't do it. Now you say God does do it. So you have to, I think this question is a, it's just a red herring question. It's a, it's a distraction. It's, it's not relevant at all. The point is, there's no reason to assume such a thing. There's no reason to assume that God would just 
deceive us this way, which is going to be the next thing. You explain a little bit better what I mean by that. But there's just no reason to assume such things should be true. Therefore, I don't have to take it seriously. And again, it has no ramification. It's not like I created this question. It's not like the question was created now that I've answered that Hashem creates the world old. Now I can have the, now this question is now created. Well, maybe it's five, five minutes old. You can ask the question either way and you'll give the answer either way. So it has nothing to do with our topic. That's the first thing. The second thing that people like to say is, is the, what's, I think what they call, called the deceptive creator. Meaning, is Hashem really deceptive? Why would Hashem trick us? Why would Hashem make the world look old, older than it actually is, and not tell us the truth, I guess, I would say that. Why would Hashem trick us into thinking the world is a certain age when it really is another age? That's the question that people like to ask with this, that Hashem is, seems to be, he's tricking us. He's, like people say about the, the fossils, there are some who explain that the fossils, Hashem planted them into the ground. I'm not getting into that point. I don't think that makes so much sense, but it could be, but I, I don't think it's so true. But one of the responses they give is, why would Hashem try and trick us? Okay, so the question is, why would Hashem create the world with a deceptive age? The, the world was created as, it looks like 15 billion years old, but it's really six days. Why would Hashem do that? So first of all, theologically, there's nothing really problematic about saying Hashem is, um, quote unquote, deceiving us. It's it's not that he's tricking us, but it's, there's a perception of something which isn't really true. He's giving us a perception of something that's false. But the truth is, it's really more accurately as he's allowing ourselves to be deceived. So there's a very famous medrash about Moshe Rabbeinu when Akash Baruch tells him to say na, na, to write Nase Adam in Bereshis. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, but if you say Nase Adam, it looks like you're using others to create the world, that you're not, or Adam, you're not creating Adam by yourself. It looks like there's Tereshuyos, Moshe Rabbeinu says, there's two powers there. And Akash Baruch responds to Moshe and says, let those who want to be deceived, deceive. I think that's the Lashem exactly. Those who want to be deceived, can be deceived, but I need to write this to teach my Torah, basically. That's more or less what, what's being said. Now that's a big, much worse mistake to make than thinking the world is 15 billion years old. That mistake is at the, at the foundation of our Yiddishkeit, that's to think that their shtei rishuyos is probably one of the worst things you could possibly think. Much more foundational thinking the world's 15 billion year olds. Yet still, Hashem wrote it, and those who want to be deceived can't be deceived. Hashem let those who want to be tricked be tricked. Again, the, the Lashon is something like those who want to be deceived. It's because if you're willing to be deceived, Hashem will allow you to. Now, the truth is Hashem tests us all the time in so many different ways. Hashem makes a world where His presence is not detected. People look at the world and they don't see Hashem. They, uh, that people look at the world and see evil. Where's the Kodesh Baruch in the world? That's a much bigger deception than anything we're talking about over here. The fact that someone can look at the world and come to a conclusion that there is no Hashem, that means that the world is much bigger deception and a projection of falsehood than anything else that we're talking about. Yet Hashem does it. Hashem sometimes is deceptive. There are sometimes tests that Hashem gives mankind. Hashem tests mankind for something. Hashem let the Satan show the coffin of Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu's that, that he was nifter to Klai Yisrael when they made a mistake. Hashem let the Satan do it. Obviously, it's all in the power of Hashem. Hashem is allowing it. But Kosh allows it. There's a Pasuk in, in the Chumash that says that sometimes a false prophet, we discussed it, a false prophet will be able to do a miracle. Why, did Hashem, why is Hashem being deceptive? It's, it's called being tested. Kosh Baruch allows us to be tested. It's for our benefit, whatever. The, the point is, it's obviously understood as for our benefit. But sometimes Hashem makes difficult things for us. So Hashem, quote unquote, deceives us in many different ways. That's no different than here. So there's nothing really theological about saying Hashem deceived us. It's it's a little bit unfair to call it deceiving because that has the connotation that He wants us to make a mistake. It's not true. Hashem sets up a scenario where we can make a mistake. That's probably more accurate. So yes, Hashem sets up many, many, many different scenarios all the time where we can make mistakes. Every single day we go through Nisyanos about how we think following the Yitzhahara will actually be beneficial for us. For us, That's Hashem setting up a system, my Yitzhahara and the world, that is sort of not designed for me to fail, but I can fail. I can be deceived by that. So Hashem sets up a projection of falsehood in the world. So that's exactly all of, almost all of religion is based on this idea that the world is there to hide Hashem. So I don't really see a question of Hashem deceiving us. Again, it's not Hashem not trying to make us make us make a mistake. Hashem sets up a scenario where we can make a mistake in order to give us better schar, whatever it is. So this is no different than anything else. So that's obviously not a question at all. And it's actually more than that. Hashem's not being deceptive here at all. It's actually much less than all the other places that we just mentioned. This is easy compared to those places. Here, he tells us exactly what the age is for mankind and exactly how long it took the world 
to be created before mankind, six days plus close to 6,000 years. So he tells us exactly that. He tells us exactly the age. And now you go out and trust blindly whatever the scientists say. I'm assuming these people who trust the scientists don't press them and ask them how they've proven it. Is it a scientific theory, consensus, or whatever? How strong is the theory? They accept scientific consensus. Consensus. Science, the scientists say that the world is is that age. Okay, so then don't blame HaKadosh Baruch Hu when you blindly trust them and you question nothing about them. You just accept whatever they say, that science is a certain amount, a certain, that the science says that the age of the world is 15 billion years old, and now you're complaining, well, Hashem's told us a different day. Again, Hashem says, those who want to be deceived can be deceived. If you want to distrust them, and you want to just accept everything they say, then yes, you will be deceived. You will come to come to co- different conclusion than the Torah. You just go blindly trusting everything they say, and then you misunderstand the Torah. In other words, the Torah never said that the world would look 5,000 years old. You assumed that it would. So based on all your assumptions, you have everything wrong. You have the Torah wrong. You have the science wrong also, but you accept science. You don't accept the Torah, basically. You're unwilling to hear an, a good answer because you ask ridiculous questions afterwards. Now you come and ask, how could Hashem deceive us? That's not exactly a very fair question to ask. Certainly giving too much weight to scientists and you're putting too much, a lot of, too little emphasis on what the Torah says. Now I just want to, there's another way of phrasing this problem. I'm just going to read from somewhere about this that someone put forth this way. I want to show that this also is, is, uh, it's just frankly silly, but let's, let's just read how he says it. He says as follows that God essentially created two conflicting accounts of creation. One is in nature, one's in Torah. How could it be determined which is the real story and which one is the fake designed to mislead us? One could equally propose that it is nature that presents the real story and that the Torah was devised by God to test us with a fake history. One has to be able to rely on God's truthfulness if religion is to function. So to put it another way, he says, if God were to went to enormous lengths to convince us that the world is billions of years old, then who are we to disagree? So like I said, the point is frankly very silly. Again, he's not designed to mislead us. It's designed to allow us to be misled. That's true. But leaving that point aside, the whole thing, it's it almost doesn't help anything. So Let's ask the question. So he's asking, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu made the world look a certain age, billions of years old, then who are we disagree? It must be that it's billion years old. Well, one second. Now your conclusion is that the world is billion, 15 billion years old. Okay, so let me just ask the same question in reverse. If Hashem went to enormous lengths to convince us that the world is 5,000 years old, then who are, we, who are we to disagree? If there is a contradiction between science and the Torah, that science 15 billion in the world is 5,000. So then now you're asking, well, why would Hashem tell us that, make us make it look like the world is 15 billion years old? And therefore what? And therefore it must be 15 billion years old? Because you have the same question the other way. Either way, you're saying that there's a contradiction between the Torah and the science. Fine. So you want to say that. So how did you gain anything by going with the science? Again, you could ask the same question the other way. If Hashem went to enormous lengths to convince that the world is 5,000 years old, so who are we to disagree? So what exactly you gain is either the Torah is right and science is wrong, or science is right and the Torah is chazer shalom wrong, or they're both right in different ways, but we're just misunderstanding one of them, either the Torah or the science. So we're not even saying that the science is wrong. It might be, and I personally think it probably is, but we're not even assuming that. Right now we could assume that the science is correct and the Torah is correct. But this idea of, well, how do you know, maybe one could equally propose, again, that it's nature that presents the real story, that the Torah was devised by God to test us with a fake history. So that doesn't, that can't help us decide one way or another, because no matter what, which way you're going to say, you can always ask the other way. If you have two things that are seemingly in contradiction with each other, and you're telling me who says this one is fake, who says this one is real, well, then why conclude that the science is real? I would say the same thing. Maybe the Torah is real. So it doesn't get us anywhere at this point. It ramages gets us absolutely nowhere. But all us being equal, if it is a question between the Torah and the natural world, we certainly take the Torah as our authority. And that's even if it's a question whether it was the Torah and something, the mamish the pshat in the Torah and the natural world. So for example, the Torah says Hashem split the sea. The natural world says Hashem, nobody can split the sea. We obviously take the Torah over there for obvious reasons. That's even if the question was a mamish, it was really the problem was a natural world. This is only a assumed perception of the natural world, the scientific theory. So yes, for sure in that case, the Torah is going to be the arbiter. There are many, let's say, different ways to interpret history. So let's say my interpretation is so obvious to me, yet the Torah gives a different interpretation. I say anti-Semitism is caused by this and this, and the Torah says X, Y, and Z, as opposed to what I say. So which way are we going to go with? Well, God runs history, doesn't he? And isn't it obvious that God wouldn't go to such lengths to mislead us? 
So obviously it's got to be the way I interpret things. That's obviously ridiculous because you could be wrong on in your interpretation. So when Hashem gives us the direct message that the Torah says that it's 5,000 years old, so we'll start with that and we'll question our assumptions. Again, we could also question the understanding of the Torah. And we have that the Torah doesn't mean that it looks 5,000 years, that or that, that the world should look that old, that, that way, that uh, that old, but that it, it is 5,000 years. So we change our, our understanding of the Torah and we certainly are changing understanding of a, some of uh, science that's for sure true but to just simply say that we don't know maybe the, tur- the Torah is the is the trick is the one that Hashem is using to trick us it's just it's just silly it's just much a very silly things and like we said Hashem is not doing anything to fool us he made the world this way because it's functional this way let me just figure out this point nobody is claiming not not me anyways not claiming that Hashem did it to deceive us even though he could have but I don't think that's what's going on over here. Hashem just made the world functional. If you wanted to make the world functional on day one, how would you do it without giving it signs of maturity? There's no other way to do it. If you want to make it functional from day one on, from day six really, day one of man, then what are you supposed to do? You're going to have to make it functional, which in general functional means maturity and passage of time. But that's obviously not going to be true over here. So Hashem wasn't coming to deceive us. He wasn't coming to even give us a test in this area. This was very simple. It was a real good reason why he did it, because there was a functionality to it. He wants to create a mature world that works already. It's completely usable for other Mauritian. He wants to create it, even on day one. So then, again, so create on day one. So the world obviously is going to look older based on our experience in the natural law, which only came into effect after day six. So it's not even like Hashem has deceived us over here. There was a reason. It's not that he just planted fossils in the ground only only in order to test us. Again, in theory, theologically, there's no problem with saying that to me, that Hashem does things to test us, fine. But that's not really the issue over here. The issue over here is that there was a very strong reason why Hashem created the world old. And the reason is because he wants functionality. Functionality normally means maturity and passage of time, but does it in this scenario. So those those two problems of the five-minute hypothesis it's called, and the fact that Hashem is deceptive as a creator, I think those are very, very um, not serious problems to anybody who really wants to seriously know the truth in this area. So in short, we've dealt with that there's, there's really no contradiction at all between the science and the age of the world. First of all, the science itself is not, is not rock solid at all. It's a lot of assumptions and assumptions that are pretty likely untrue. And second of all, even if you were to accept everything they say, that also fits 100% with the Torah because all they are saying is the age of the world looks a certain way, not that it is a certain way. So everything would fit very nicely and there doesn't have to be any contradiction at all between what scientists say, not science necessarily, what scientists say and what the Torah says. Exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website, msofterra.com. And remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.